We're in this series called The Pursuit of Happiness, and today we come to this statement which is just so provocative in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, if I were female, I might wonder, wait a minute, does that apply to me too? (laughs) Well, the answer is it definitely does. Well, why didn't they translate it as children? Well, the reason is because the Greek word used there is the word heus, which is the word for sons. It's not the word kore for daughters, but nor is it the word pedia for children. And although some translators do translate this as children because it clearly applies to both male and female, some keep the word sons because they want to maintain that idea of kind of inheritance. We are fellow heirs of God, which was huge in the ancient world, and it was the, the sons who received that inheritance. But let's be crystal clear, in God's kingdom, Women are just as much fellow heirs of that kingdom as are their male counterparts. So, with that little footnote aside, what are we to make of this incredible statement? Blessed are the peacemakers. What is this all about? How can we make sense of that in a world where there's so much strife and division and conflict? The Society of International Law in London has done some amazing research, and they found that over the last 3,600 years of human history, there have been, get this now, 14,351 documented wars during that period, in which 3.64 billion people have died as a direct result of those conflicts. In fact, just in the last three centuries, 287 wars have been waged on the continent of Europe alone. I mean, that is just staggering to think about. So, as disciples of Jesus, in one sense, we should not be surprised at conflict because Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. And perhaps no one was treated more harshly or unkindly than was Jesus. So what are we to make of this call from Jesus to be peacemakers in a world where there is so little peace? Well, I've decided to let our outline today be a series of questions. So I'm gonna ask you some questions, and then I want us to kind of ponder them Together, The first question I would ask is this, why is there so little peace in the world? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, it's kind of the question that the apostle James asked in James' letter, chapter four, where he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I mean, when you study the landscape of human history, you gotta ask that question, don't you? When you look at the devastation in Ukraine that's talked about every day in the news, you have to ask this question. When you go online or read and listen to your favorite news feed, I'm sure you've asked the question, 
Why can't people just get along? Perhaps you've even looked at your own friend group and some of the conflicts that have developed, and, and maybe you've asked, wow, even among friends, why can't we get along better? Why is there so little peace? Well, I don't know if it'll shock you or not, but the Bible gives a resounding answer to that question. It says basically that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. In fact, that, that verse we just quoted from the Apostle James, why, what causes fights and quarrels? He answers his own question in the very next phrase. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. In other words, we're not gonna get peace from political reform as welcome as that would be. It's not, the ultimate solution is not from some social revolution, as refreshing as that might seem to some. It's not ultimately gonna be found in economic renewal, although that can help a bit. And the ultimate solution to our world conflict is also not found in just a new philosophical perspective. We've got to take an honest look at the human heart. And I don't know, I don't know personally of any book that diagnoses the problem of the heart and gives a remedy for its cure like this book, the Bible. I know of no other document that does that. And the Bible says, look, if you wanna know where the problems in the world come from, look in the mirror. Just just. Pause for a moment and take a gaze into the mirror, mirror, and when you do, you'll see that your own heart is in need of repair. When I, Rex Keener, look in the mirror, I see my own biggest problem staring right back at me. Now, this is so critical for us to understand because here's my concern. I know that all kinds of different people from many different backgrounds and perspectives are listening right now, whether live, whether online. And here's, here's my concern. I think some of you have the wrong starting point, if I could be so bold. When you look out at the world, let me stereotype what I hear over and over again from people in the world today. You look out at the world and your starting point is the belief that, hey, we're all basically good, right? Yeah, oh, there are a few bad eggs among us, and they kind of mess it up for everybody else. But, you know, people are basically good, especially my friends and me. We're good, and almost everybody in the world is really good, and that's your starting point for humanity. Now, before you stone me, If you're looking in your life, if you're on a journey today and you're saying, I wanna take Jesus Christ seriously, you better start challenging that point of view. Because Jesus summed it up like this in Mark chapter seven when he talked about humanity and where all these problems come from. He said, for from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, when you read your news feed, do you sense that there's any evil thinking out there, maybe? 
maybe in a politician or two, maybe, maybe in a world leader, maybe in some devious, maybe, right? But you know, we're all basically good, all right? So we don't have to worry much about that, right? Sexual immorality, well, I've never heard of any of that going on in our world, right? Yeah, yeah right, we all know we're good. Theft, there's no stealing going on. No embezzlement of money, no white collar crime, right? None, none whatsoever. Nobody's pilfering from anybody else, so we don't have to worry about murder. Nobody's killing another person, right? Because we're all basically good, right? And so adultery, well, I've never heard of anybody breaking their marriage vows, so we're good to go there. Greed, no, everybody wants to share freely, right? Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander. I've never heard of anybody cutting somebody down verbally or saying something negative about another person or slandering their, never. Arrogance and folly. Let Jesus be your theologian. If you're trying to take him seriously, he said all these evils, everything I've just described and much, much more, where do they come from? They come from inside and make a man or a woman unclean. Now, before I leave this, the morning you wake up and you read your newspaper and you don't read any of these things going on in your culture, in your country, in your world, you will know that one of two things has just happened. You will know, the morning you get up and you don't see any of this going on in any news story, you'll know that either everybody in the world has suddenly become Christian and is highly sanctified to boot, or Jesus is a liar. One or the other is going on. And the reason I'm pressing this right now is because I'm genuinely concerned about some of you. You get up and you wring your hands. Oh, why is all this bad stuff going on? What is your starting point? What do you expect? Jesus has already told you what it's gonna look like. This is gonna come from inside of people because this is how humanity is wired because of the fall. Now, I don't want you to jump to wrong conclusions. Jesus is not saying here that we are not capable of doing some good things. Again, let Jesus be our best theologian here because he is. And in Matthew chapter seven, look at what Jesus said to the people gathered around him. He said, if you then, though you are really basically good, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I'm a little, I haven't had enough coffee today. If you then, though you are evil, yeah, Jesus knew the hearts of men and women. He knew how we are. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What's he saying? The diagnosis is not that you're basically good, but a few of us are evil and do bad things. No, no, no. The diagnosis from Jesus is that we're basically evil, but we can still do some good things. So I'm asking you to challenge your worldview here if it's anything different than what Jesus said. I'm a student of history. I love history. In fact, I'm pretty maniacal about it. And in the early part of the 20th century, in the early 1900s, there were actually popular thinkers saying, 
Mankind has come of age. <coughs> what did they mean by that? They meant that if you look at the Industrial Revolution and you look at all the progress we've made, if you look at all the amazing inventions, you can kind of puff your chest out and go, wow, aren't we capable of great things? Think about all the advances in medicine and technology and science, and the general feeling was, wow, we're evolving so well and becoming more and more morally good, we're gonna eventually wipe out war and poverty and crime and pestilence and disease and all cruelty. We have come of age. We are on a social and cultural trajectory that is just up, 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 up. We are awesome. And you know what? We're so awesome. By the end of the 20th century, we will have eventually created a utopian society. We have come of age. That is literally the kind of rhetoric you heard in the early part of the 20th century. And then World War I happened. Oh, gee. But, hey, we were still optimistic, right? Because we're basically good, and it was called the war to end all wars. Boy, if there was ever an optimistic mantra, that was it, the war to end all wars. Yeah, we're gonna go ahead and fight this war, but then there will be no more wars because we're just becoming so wonderful and better and better. We'll have an ideal world by the end of the 20th century. The 20th century turned out to be the bloodiest century in history. With the Nazi concentration camps, World War II, the purge and the mass murders of millions under the regimes of Mao and Pol Pot and Stalin, with the unprecedented violence in our own streets, you go, but no, maybe it was just a bad century for peace. We'll eventually get this right because we're basically good, right? Certainly the 21st century that we're in now certainly will be able to show that we're gonna get the social utopia we desire. How's that working for you? The 21st century opened with the implosion of the Twin Towers and an obsession with international terrorism the tortures and executions that continue in Afghanistan, even as we speak, are a grim reminder that our world is not a safe neighborhood. Anxiety is epic. I just looked this up. Americans spend $46.6 billion a year on medication just to help us with our fears. I was required to read Lord of the Flies as a book in school. It's a novel, if you haven't read it, that depicts what can happen when all the restraints are taken off. You ought to read it sometime because it shows the startling, fearful reality of what happens when there's no more law, no more restraints, and we begin to eliminate people and what Jesus described, that selfishness from inside, eventually begins to take over. So do not get me wrong. I applaud all wonderful attempts to try to help people get along between nations, between groups, between cultures, between individuals. Bravo, bravo. Keep bringing it on. But until we take a brutally honest look 
at the evil in the human heart, until we take an honest look in the mirror, we will never have any kind of lasting and meaningful peace. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? I, man, it's just so uplifting, isn't it? We gotta keep it real, people. So if we're really taking the Bible and Jesus seriously, it's not always gonna be cheery, but the news does get a little better. So let's ask our second question. What is the solution that will bring peace? Ah, now we get a little more cheery here. The Bible speaks of two kinds of peace. I really want you to get this, that address our basic need. Two kinds of peace. First is peace with God. Look at what the book of Romans says in Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace, notice the preposition, with, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, according to scripture, our primary conflict, our first conflict is with God himself. Our lives are not synchronized with God and that flows over into all kinds of other areas. Our sins have separated us from the very life of God, and we're living in rebellion against his will and his desires for us. By the way, that's why life often seems to make no sense. If the designer designed us, and we're living contrary to the way he designed us to flourish, guess what? We don't flourish, and that means we get frustrated. Have you ever looked out at a starry night and wondered what is life all about? And I have. I'll never forget. Even as a very, very young person, even in my early teenage days, I remember walking the dirt road in front of my house way down in the country in Tennessee and looking up at a starry night and going, what is this all about? Where am I going? What, what is the purpose of life? Why am I? Why am I so restless inside? Have you ever had those feelings or thoughts? I'll bet you have. And there's this lack of peace because we're not vitally connected to the one who gave us life. Now listen to me clearly. If you've ever wondered, what is this gospel message all about that Grace Fellowship proclaims and that Christians all over the world proclaim? Here it is. I hope you're listening right now. Get this message Jesus died on the cross so we could have peace with God. Boy, that's good news. Because our lives are sideways with God. We're out of sync with God. Scripture even says we're at war with God. But Jesus died so we could have peace with God. Listen to how Paul puts it in the book of Colossians chapter one. He said, for God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, get this part now, get this part, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So I ask you, have you been reconciled to God? Do you know what it's like to really be at peace with God? We have a bunch of people coming every Tuesday evening to our Latham campus 
and we meet together and we have some good food and enjoy that. And then we enjoy some great discussion around tables. We call it Alpha. It's just a wonderful time we have on Tuesday evenings. And we have some really honest and open conversations about faith and about meaning and life. And it's not too late for you to come to Alpha and be a part of that. We'd, we'd love to know you're coming if possible, just so we can make sure we have plenty of food for you and can welcome you the best way possible. But I invite you to come and join us at our Latham campus, 6.30, because many people are discovering through Alpha how they can have peace with God. That is a critical starting point. But watch this. The scripture says there's another kind of peace. It's not just peace with God, but the other kind is peace of God. The peace of God. That's different. Peace with God is objective. It deals with my legal standing with God, where my sins are forgiven, and nothing can ever separate me from that. The peace of God is a subjective thing. It's more fickle than this one. It is subject to kind of my moment-by-moment experience where I either am enjoying the empowering presence of God and his peace and joy in my life, or maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. I can still have peace with God and not be enjoying the peace of God every moment of life. That's a possibility. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you have his peace today? Several months ago, Debbie and I were in South Carolina, and we went to a gospel brunch one Sunday morning. Food was great. The music was even better. And there was a gospel group singing songs that kind of took me back to my childhood, and I'll admit, I was teared up over and over again, could hardly eat my breakfast my brunch, and they sang all these great songs that I I had great memories of from my childhood because I had grown up singing some of them, And, and one of them, it talks about this wonderful peace we have, the peace of God in our lives, and here's the line I love, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away, and that is a joyous reality. The peace of God keeps us steady and stable and resilient as we navigate the seas of life. Now listen, the world can't take it away, but you can sabotage it. We're talking about the peace of God now that rules in your heart. You can sabotage it in numerous ways, but the two biggies are when you deliberately choose to live in sin There is no peace of God in a Christian's life who is deliberately choosing to disobey what God has shown. No peace of God. And second, you can lack the peace of God when you have stinking thinking about who God is. Maybe you think God hates you or is oppressive or abusive to you because of some human father you had. Well, that's stinking thinking. That's not who your heavenly father is. I get why you would think that. 
because of that association you're making. But, but that's just wrong-headed thinking. Most of our lack of peace of God has something to do with wrong thinking about who God is. So hope you get the point. We can sabotage it ourselves, but the world can't take it away from us. In fact, Paul would go so far as to make an audacious statement like this in Philippians, where he says, do not be anxious about anything. Paul, are you crazy? Let me quote it again. We spend $46.6 billion annually on drugs just to medicate our anxieties. What is he thinking here? Doesn't he know who we are as a people? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here's the promise and the peace. Notice the preposition again, not with God. That's all, he's talking to people who already have peace with God, but he says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, before we leave this, I want you to notice something here. He's not describing here a peace that is irrational, nor is it merely rational. It is supra-rational, and it is supernatural, and he says it will guard over your heart and mind even through life's toughest situations. So let me ask you, is the peace of God guarding over and governing over your heart and mind? This peace of God that I'm describing is not an absence of conflict. No, no. The peace of God I'm describing is something you can have even in the midst of conflict. Because in a world like this, you're never gonna be completely free or away from conflict. So what you really need, what you really need is not some magical potion to get you away from conflict. What you really need is something to sustain you in the midst of conflict and give you the peace of God. There's a true story that's often told about a contest that was given in the UK some decades ago. And a number of aspiring artists were given the challenge of drawing a painting that represented peace and to do it in the most powerful, creative way they could. And there were gonna be two cash prizes given, both for number one and the runner-up, number two. And so one of the prize winners went up to the northwest of England to the beautiful Lake District, and he painted a Traditional scene of gorgeous lake that was very serene and placid waters. And you could kind of see the reflection of the mountains in the water. And boy, the skies were blue and the birds were singing. It was incredible. <clears throat> and he called his painting Peace. But the winner of the contest took a radically different approach. He went down to the southwestern part of England, to the Cornish Peninsula that juts out into the Atlantic. And everyone who's been there knows the coasts are rugged and rocky, and it is constantly pounded by the winds and the waves. And in his picture, there was a tree 
that was literally bit 45 degrees in the gale force winds. The rain was pounding down. It was an ominous scene where the clouds were just boiling with darkness and tumult. And they were just churning and a lightning bolt is piercing the sky at the upper corner of the painting. And when you looked at that painting, you said, ah, that's stressful. I would never wanna be in that stressful situation. But here's what made it. Two thirds up the rock, in the cleft of the rock, there was a bird's nest with a gull with his eyes closed in serene, serene tranquility. And the artist also called his picture peace. And he won first prize. The peace of God is not a life of ease and comfort where there's no conflicts and struggles. Listen, hey, if that's your life today, you've got no conflict, no struggle, plenty of money, no relational turmoil going on, I got a word for you. Enjoy it while you can, baby. Because <laughs> it's not gonna last long. Those seasons are incredibly rare. That peace, my goodness, that's perfectly understandable. I can understand why you'd be peaceful if you've got no problems. But the peace of God is in the midst of the storms of life and it will guard and govern over your heart and mind. Do you have peace with God? And are you experiencing the peace of God? But here's my, here's my final question today. Final question. How can we become peacemakers? I, I think that's a huge question. And I would say that the kind of peacemaker that Jesus envisions here is a person who, first of all, has peace with God. It's gotta start there. Secondly, you are experiencing to some degree the peace of God day by day in your life. And when that is true of you, suddenly you are now a candidate to be a peacemaker. You are now a candidate to participate with God in peacemaking in the world. I, I put my own definition to this. I said a peacemaker is any true disciple of Jesus who shares in his mission and ministry in this world. As I've often encouraged you to do, get up every morning, Lord, I know you're working, can I get in on it? Yes, God will always say yes to that. And friends, I find this very interesting as I study God's word five times, five times, in the New Testament, the phrase, the God of peace is used five times, the God of peace. And Jesus, as you probably know, is called in scripture, the Prince of Peace. And one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace, in the lives of his people. Oh, this is so interesting. The point here is that the whole trinity the whole Trinity is involved in this peace initiative. The whole Trinity is waging peace in your life. The Father's the God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of peace. And the Spirit is the source of peace. That is awesome. 
to be peacemakers, uh, we just join our lives with what God is already doing. And what's God doing? God's drawing people. God's drawing people to himself for salvation. God is changing lives for for eternity. And we get in on that as we plant gospel seeds, as we have life-changing conversations with people, as we share news about how people can have peace with God and the peace of God. But it's more, it's more. Oh, I could camp out here all day. It's more. You, you become a reconciler. To be a peacemaker like Jesus envisioned means that you bring people together more than cause division. What? I don't want you to miss this now. If you want to know what really ticks God off, did you know God can be ticked off? Did you know that? God can be ticked off. If you want to know what God really hates, Scripture's clear. Read Proverbs chapter 6. God says, I hate it when somebody sows discord among brothers and sisters and just becomes like this grenade in the midst of people and just brings up issues and just causes strife and division and pits one person against another. God says, I hate that. On the other hand, God is delighted when we bring people together and help them create meaningful relationships and flourish with each other, especially when it's around his truth. So are you a peacemaker? Or are you a grenade that causes division everywhere you go? I want to close today with a prayer that a follower of Jesus long ago prayed. His name was Francis, and boy, he was radical. And in fact, he lived such a radical life that when people looked back at him, they wanted to call him a saint. And that's cool, as long as you remember that biblically, all of God's people are really saints, but it's okay to respect women and men who've just lived exemplary lives. I wanna close with this prayer that he prayed. Here it is. He said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. In other words, I wanna be a peacemaker, like Jesus said. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, let me, let me sow some seeds of faith there and help people believe where there's despair. You know anybody who's despairing around you? Hey, Lord, would you help me to be a source of hope for people? Where there's darkness? I don't know if you have any moral or spiritual darkness around you, but I see some in my world. Let me be a source of light there, that I'd bring light into that. Where there's sadness, wow, there's a lot of sad people, right? Let me, Lord, this was his prayer, this guy named Francis. Let me bring some joy into that. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. It's not about me, in other words. Not about just my comfort and consolation. Let me be an agent of that for other people to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it's in giving that we receive. It's in pardoning that we're pardoned. It's in dying that we're born. 
to eternal life. Father, thank you for calling us to be peacemakers. And I pray for all of those who desperately today need peace with God. They've never come to you in humility and said, I, I repent, I turn from hijacking my own life, doing my own thing, living my own way, and I submit my life to you. Father, would you pave the way for that? Would you draw them even now? And those who, who desperately need the peace of God because they're in anxiety-riddled situations, they just got bad news, their finances are in shambles, their relationships are hurting, their body is frail, their level of hope is dismal. Father, I pray today for the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that it would guard over their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, finally, I ask that you'd make us the agents of your peace, that we would literally wage peace in this world that so desperately, desperately needs peace. May we do it in your name and for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.